America. And indeed, we have congregated here at this time to celebrate a most treasured wellspring of contemporary music. It is the sound which historians in the far future might catalog under 20th century pre-light emitting dial euphoric. But today the sound lives, and tonight assembled exclusively for your entertainment pleasure from the music capitals of this continent. This is the hard-working all-star show band of Julia Jake and Elwood Blues. Ladies and gentlemen, these are the Blues Brothers. Welcome to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I am your host, Scott White. And once again, I am joined by my good friend, introduce yourself, Mr. Sean Penalber. Hey, friends and everyone listening. Uh, my name is Sean Penalber. Uh, I'm a local artist, collector, entertainer, musician. I do things. Rock on tour. There's pretty much nothing that Sean doesn't do, and he doesn't do it well. Except murder. Yes, he murdered, yeah. He's been convicted for murder three times because he just can't get it down. But speaking of murder, uh, that was a horrible segue. Uh, but uh, We are going to talk about the Blues Brothers album, Made in America. And if any of you have remembered, Sean and I, we did the Blues CD, Have Love, Will Travel. And that had Dan Aykroyd and Jim Belushi. On that CD, well, we're we're looking at an original Blues Brothers recording, uh, made in America. It was released in December of 1980, so this came out the same year as the movie. Yeah, and I believe they were trying to cash in on the popularity of the movie with another album. Now, Sean, what is your knowledge, or what do you know of the Blues Brothers? Uh, I know that it's John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd, uh, backed by a fantastic uh, revenue or collection of uh, artists. And so the talent behind everyone is fantastic. Uh, I know that it was a Saturday Night Live thing. uh, And I know about the movie, which is one of my favorites. Have you heard any other Blues Brothers albums besides this one? I haven't. I have... have I enjoy the soundtrack to the movie very much so. Uh, and then besides Have Love, Will Travel, but again, that was Jim. So before we start, what was your overall view of this album? This was their third album. So their first album uh, was, a suit, was a Suitcase Full of Blues. And then their second album was the Blues Brothers soundtrack. And this was their third album. And this was their last live album with John Belushi. They released a Best of Blues Brothers in 1981, and then, of course, Belushi died in 82. So this is really the last album with John Belushi. And what were your thoughts on it? I don't know. I kind of want to save them to the end for, like, a surprise. Okay. Make it a surprise? Yeah, after we review the whole thing. Okay. Well, what we usually like to do, you and I... We we go song through song, yeah. And uh, is that what you want to do this time? How do you? Yeah. All right. So we start off the album with Soul Finger. Yeah, which, which is are... an instrumental, and so I will tell you this: in in this album, since you haven't listened to the other two, Dan Aykroyd and the band is much more prominent on this album than the first two. Really? Yes. The first two albums are basically 95, 96% of John Belushi singing. And Aykroyd usually does a lot of of background uh, background vocals. Now, I can't prove this. This was at the point in John Belushi's life where he was doing a lot of drugs so I don't know if it was, if the concert was made that way to put less work on John Belushi because this was the height of his drug addiction. At I can this see point. that. Yeah. So, but anyway, so our first uh, first song is Soul Finger, an instrumental, and we get an introduction by Dan Aykroyd as Elwood Blues. And so it's a it's a mashup of Soul Finger and Funky Broadway. Uh, Soul Finger was a 1967 cover 
of the Barkays, and uh, it goes into Funky Broadway when Dan is doing all the talking and the rundown and stuff, and that is a 1966 cover of Dyke and the Blazers, Funky Broadway. Just a side note, Soulfinger is used in the movie Spies Like Us, starring Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase. Oh, wow. Uh, Like in the beginning or just at some point? No, it's at some point in the movie. It's actually at a weird point. (laughs) Describing it out of context, Dan Aykroyd and... Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase are in Russia. They're spying on these Russians who are listening to Soulfinger on a boombox. And Dan Aykroyd <laughs> and Chevy Chase are pretending to be aliens. That, so that, take that, that scene out of context. And that's how Soulfinger is used in the movie Spies Like Us. I need to watch that again. Yeah. Um, as always, uh, with my experience of Blues Brothers or with... Um, have love will travel. I think their intros are classy. Like I really enjoy the intros of just like how they break things down. They're like, "Hey, welcome, come on in." You know, we're gonna have a show. They make it really. This was recorded at an auditorium in, uh, in Los Angeles. But you're right. The intros always make it a little more intimate, in my opinion. Even though it's a giant auditorium, it's like, "Hey, everybody, just we're just we're just here to have a good time." Just yeah. listen to our music. And then, so our next song is called Who's Making Love. Who's and Making Love. Basically, it is, not basically, it is a song about this guy reminiscing, who's sleeping with my wife right now? And not just that, like, it's about a guy who's out cheating himself, and then he's like, oh shit, someone's probably at home with my wife doing the same thing. And then vice versa. And it also breaks down, like, your wife is probably out cheating, and then who are you out uh, having, you know, relationships with? Yeah, it's it's a really it's a really wild song. Now, I will say, uh, on a couple of these songs, and this is one of them, sometimes I had trouble hearing and understanding John Belushi when he was doing lead vocals. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, and maybe it's just, maybe it's my hearing, or actually, because, well, I did listen to this, you listened to this on I YouTube, did it on YouTube, I believe. yeah. I listened to the actual, I have the album, I have the LP, so maybe the sound quality on the LP is not as good as it was on, on YouTube, but. Or maybe your needle's getting thin. Maybe my needle's. But this song, I had trouble, and I, I mean, I understood the song. But there was some, it's like, I really had to hunker down and listen to, to hear what he was saying. I mean, but also, like you said, like, if this was at the height of his, you know, drug career, he could have been slurring or, you know, anything. There's been tons and tons of stories how he was on stage and slurring. And maybe, maybe this was the best take. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, yeah. Because they were, this was recorded over a week. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yes. And so I'm sure they put the best recordings of each one on here. I can imagine, uh, from what we were talking about, about like the, if I'm out, who's back at home with my wife? Like, people at the beginning of this concert listening to this song and being like, oh, oh shit, like, I need to get home right now. Like, I, I don't know who my wife is with. It's basically the, why, God damn, that's a, that's a, that's a phrase, people, I'm going to try to stop saying, basically. <laughs> it's, it's the cheater syndrome. Yeah. Every, it's, or the liar syndrome. If you're a cheater, you think everybody is a cheater. And if you're a liar, you think everybody is a liar. So if you're out cheating, you're thinking that obviously my wife is out cheating or vice versa, however yeah. that works. Yeah. Uh, this was a 1968 Johnny Taylor cover. And the band gets... There's a lot of solos uh, throughout these songs. So the band really gets to shine in this album as well. Yeah, which I enjoyed. I enjoyed as well. And then the next song, we had the classic Do You Love Me. Yes. Do You Love Me with Mother Popcorn by uh, James Brown. And uh, uh, Yes. 
For those of you listening, Do You Love Me was a 1962 Contours cover. And The Mother Popcorn, or You Have Got to Have a Mother for Me, is a 1969 James Brown cover. Uh, I thought, uh, I recognized this immediately. Do You Love Me, that's a classic hit. I Uh, recognized it immediately. A lot of these songs I did not recognize immediately. Yeah, Like you do. These are more obscure songs than appear than what appear on the first two Blues Brothers albums. Yeah, and I wrote about that kind of later about like how it seemed that like some of these tracks are just like, oh man, we're running out of blues tracks to cover. Let's just do this one. And I believe uh, the song "Do You Love Me" was John Belushi didn't change the sex because it was originally written for a woman, and. So she calls herself her and refers to him as, you know, the one who's not requiting her love. And and John Belushi didn't change the pronouns. He sang it the way the song was written. He didn't he didn't change it to make it like he was the one who was rejected and now he's coming back. Like the song. Because the How song is like Yes. He did, yeah, he didn't change it. He didn't make it about himself. He just sang the song the way it was written, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Uh, and also, again, back with the transition of, like, two songs together, uh, I thought it was an amazing mashup and a great transition from the band from one song into the next, and I really enjoyed this piece. I, I actually felt it could have been longer. Like, I wish they had drawn it out. It's a relatively short album. Yeah, super short. 30 minutes. Right, yeah, 15 minutes aside. Now, the next song, Guilty, it's, this is one of those things that has become poignant because we know what happened to John Belushi. Yeah. And first of all, the song has a great intro by Dan Aykroyd introducing his brother, Jake, you know, and he's like, Jake's going to get uh, intimate with you people. And then John Belushi starts singing about drinking and using cocaine. Yeah, baby. Yeah, I've been drinking And I I shouldn't come by, no But I found myself in trouble, darling And I had nowhere else to go Got some whiskey from a barman. I got some cocaine from my friends. I gotta keep on moving, baby. And it's just like, wow, that yeah. when he was singing that, he was, I mean, he, he, he was, was bearing his soul. He was and, bearing his soul. Yes. And even in the articles that I was reading, like the Wikipedia page and stuff, the, apparently this song had a deep biographical meaning to Jim Belushi uh, or John Belushi and he wanted to do it. And so that's why this was on the album. Uh, and another thing I noticed was like when he sings about the part, uh, from getting cocaine from his friends. It's like the second line in the song. Uh, everyone just goes wild. The audience just like supports and cheers him, which is exactly not what he needed. Go, the audience goes ape shit when yeah. he says, I got some cocaine. Um, and it's just like, that. that's the sort of drug praise that, that led to his death. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And it's a shame. Absolutely. It is a shame. I I miss John Belushi. Yeah. Uh, well, this was a 1974 Randy Newman cover, and uh, any Randy Newman song, you're going to get some good piano in there, and mm-hmm. 
some lovely poetic uh, lyrics. Now, speaking of piano, so Paul Schaefer is on this album. He actually produces this album. or Yeah. And Paul Schaefer was not in the Blues Brothers movie or on the Blues Brothers soundtrack because he had a scheduling conflict. Yeah. I believe he was doing Gilda Radner's Broadway show at that time. Oh, wow. So he, so he was not on. So he came back for this album. However, they kept Murphy Dunn, who played keyboard in the movie. So they had dual keyboards on this album. They had Paul Schaefer and Murphy Dunn both playing both play, both playing keyboards. I thought that was cool that they didn't kick Murphy out of the band just because Paul Schaefer came back. They yeah. kept I mean, him the, in the fold. The more talent, the merrier. And honestly, like I, I can't get enough keyboards in like a good a good music band. Like you could have I'm I'm talking why not ten keyboards, you know, like as long as no one's overpowering each other, like you can get some amazing things. Now but yeah, this was a nice this was a nice slow track. It was. It was very nice. It takes it down. Belushi is telling you what's going on in his life right now. Yeah. The next three songs, we will will hit them all, but it goes from side one. It goes from guilty to the Perry Mason theme to riot at cell block number nine. And to me, this is like the trilogy within a franchise. And what I mean was it's like, there's like seven or eight Star Trek movies, but Star Trek two, three, and four can be seen as a trilogy. It's also with the Friday the 13th movies. There's like 10 or 11 of those, but Friday the 13th, two, three, and four could be a trilogy because they all have connecting tissue. These three songs. Yeah. These three songs have connecting tissue. It's like they're telling a story where John Belushi proclaims he's guilty and then Dan Aykroyd gets on there and says, I need to get him a lawyer and they go into the Perry Mason theme, the TV show Perry Mason. Yeah. And That's a great connection. And then the last one, evidently he gets convicted because now he's in cell block number nine starting a riot. Yeah. So it was a nice little story with songs. Um that's and the way I thought. Saw it. That is a great point and also adds to the effect of having the LP yourself, like on the the record. Because I mean with the YouTube it just like plays right the way through and you don't really notice that. But that is such a good halfway point and then uh starting off the other side with green onions. That's a that's a great split. It is. But so but let's talk about so it goes from guilty to the Perry Mason theme. The Perry Mason theme. Because that show, that show read in the 50s. Uh, 1957 to 1966, I believe. 66. So that means the last episode was uh, 14 years ago when this movie, when this album came out. Um, Uh, I think this was one of my favorite tracks on the album. Uh, but this is where Dan Aykroyd comes in and replaces John. On lead vocals, yes. Yeah. Yeah, Aykroyd uh, finishes out the album, or finishes out the side. Belushi does Guilty, and then Aykroyd does an intro to the Perry Mason theme, and we get the great band, and then it goes into Riot and Cell Block Number 9. I yeah. really enjoy Riot and Cell Block Number 9. On uh, Perry Mason theme, they have... Uh, I and overall, I think that is the highlighting track of the saxophone and the horns on that track. They kill it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also enjoy them doing uh, another theme song, like uh, Rawhide or the Peter Gunn theme that they did in the movie. Correct. Yes. And so it was another was, good throwback. I like that they didn't do what was popular at the time. They They went back and they... They grab the Perry Mason theme, which fits perfectly in between Guilty and Riot and Cell Block Number Nine. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because that, that that does add a lot more effect to it. And then we have Riot and Cell Block Number Nine, where the band is singing, and that sort of gave me a Minnie the Moocher feel, like when the whole band was going "Hidey, hidey, hidey, hi." Yeah, 
Oh, I love I, that song. Yeah, but I got that feel from this song when they were singing the chorus right in cell block number nine behind Ackroyd. Yeah, all together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was, yeah. It took me a minute. I got, it's like, that, that reminds me of something. I can't place it. And then I remembered, oh yeah, Minnie the Moocher. Well, this is a 1954 The Robins cover. And uh, my thoughts on this were, uh, <laughs> I wrote, holy shit, they stopped this riot with dynamite and nerve gas. <laughs> <laughs> Which is insane to think about. And that song was written in 1954. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, I'm sure they, they may have used dynamite and nerve gas in prison riots. These blue songs can sometimes be batshit crazy. If you just, Absolutely. If you just listen to the lyrics. Remember back on Have Love Will Travel, that Ray Charles song where he's putting chlorophyll on $10 bills? It's like, what the <laughs> yeah. hell is that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, different know. times. Different times. Different times. You know, this one is like, we're, <laughs> we're stopping a riot with dynamite and nerve gas. It's... It was it was pre surveillance state before like video cameras were everywhere. Right. But then uh, you got the next side of the album starting off with Green Onions, which Green is Onions. a absolute classic hit. Booker T. Yeah, Booker T and the MGs, and this was original material uh, from Steve Cropper and Donald Duck Dunn, who were in the MGs. Correct. So and they so got that to play was... their own religion, their uh, original material. Yeah, which was really nice, and they both kind of shined. Though at the same time, uh, I was, uh, I could have like they they both shine with the keyboard and the guitar, but I kind of expected a little more from them. Like it just kind of seemed like here's the song, we're gonna you know like uh, amp up our parts just a little bit. Which I was like, man, y'all could have like gone so hard on this. This is your song. This is your baby. Yeah. Now, the weird thing during this song, while it's playing, Ackroyd goes off on this political rant. American propaganda. (laughs) Yes. This continent, North America, is the stronghold. This is where we're going to make our stand in this decade. Yeah, people. I got something to say to the State Department. I say take that archaic Monroe Doctrine and that Marshall Plan that says we're supposed to police force the world and throw it out! Let's stay home for the next ten years, people! Stay right here in North America and enjoy the music and culture that is ours! Yeah, I got one more thing to say. I'm just talking about the music, people, and what it does to me. And that is... As you look around the round world, you go to Soviet Union or Great Britain or France, you name any country, Everybody is doing flips and twists just to get into a genuine pair of American blue jeans. And to hear this music, and we got it all here in America, the land of the Chrysler 430 cubic inch engine. He's like, let's get rid of the Monroe Doctrine. And let's, he's basically saying, let's not help out any other countries in the world. Let's stay in America. And consume, consume, consume. And party, party, party. Because we have blue jeans and the Chrysler 440 cubic inch engine. And those are his main points. We have blue jeans and car. Well, you know, Ackroyd is a huge motorhead. He loves automobiles. Oh, okay. Let's get rid of the Monroe Doctrine. I'm like, what? And it's like, again, like I said, it's like, that was so disappointing because it's like, uh... Duck Dunn and Steve Cropper could have done, like, gone ham on solos, you know? They could have gone back and forth, even, like, just, like, killing it. But they put in this vocal interlude of American propaganda, and it's just like, okay. But the next song we go into is a song called I Ain't Got You. I Ain't Got You, which is a 1955 Calvin Carter Carter cover. Now, I will, the first time I heard this song... It was sung by Andrew Dice Clay in his movie, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. That's where I first, that's where I knew this song from. Ford Fairlane, 1990, wow. Yep. Uh, Yeah, this song is basically just like, 
there there are things in my life. I got mediocre people and stuff all around me, but I I ain't got you. This is sort of the opposite of who's making love. In who's <laughs> making love, they he has somebody and he's cheating on her. On this one, he doesn't have her, and he wants her. There's a line in the where he's got a stomach full of different pills. I, yeah. I think he's just doing everything to cope not having her. That might and be that, the prequel to Who's Making Love. It's like, I ain't got you, but then I get you, and now who's making love to you because <laughs> I'm out making love to somebody else because I ain't got her or something. <laughs> that makes sense. But also just that stomach full of pills line. Another just like classic blues line of, okay, different time. It's a great line. I, it, it goes, I got a pocket full of crumpled bills. I got a stomach full of different pills. I got Fanny Fox and Wilbur Mills. That who the right hell there. Is, who the hell is Fanny Fox? Do you know Fanny Fox? I have no idea who Fanny Fox and Wilbur Mills is. I probably should have looked so, it up. I had to look it up, and it was apparently, uh, she was like a model, and she it was like a whole political scandal where she like, was she jumped out of a limo into like a river because they were like, you know, doing the dirty behind the scenes, and then she came out and she became famous and everything. And it caused this whole political scandal. But wow. I don't get the line, though. I still don't get it. It's like, I have these these two things. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, are you looking for a rhyme or something? But, but I I mean, I enjoy... Whenever I recognize a song... I, I mean, I'll admit, if I recognize a song, chances are I will immediately enjoy it more than a... I'll, I'll enjoy it quicker. It's like, oh, yeah. I know that song. And I knew that, that song. That nostalgic factor. The nostalgic factor, Yes. And something I will say, once again, comparing this this album to Have Love Will Travel, Have Love Will Travel is a party album from start to finish. Yes. Uh, this one is not. This one has a, a different variety of blues songs. You've got your, you got your fast tempo, like you said, you've you got your mellow, uh, you got your mellow guilty. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, Dan Aykroyd's. Uh, speeches in this so it's a variation of blues songs it's not this would not be a party album in my opinion yeah, like no, have love travel this is something you might put on like in the car maybe you know and like depending on what your what mood you're in this might be an album where you might skip a song like if guilty came on and you're like you know what i can't really deal with that right now yeah I, I might want to skip it uh, yeah i can see that it's like, triggering uh, yeah, a lot. That's an excellent word. A lot of a lot of songs might be triggering, whereas "Have Love Will Travel" is just a fun album from start to finish. Yeah. And then our next song on the album is "From the Bottom." Boop, boop. From the boop. bottom. From which, the uh, bottom. That's all I know about this character is that she's from the bottom, and I still don't even know what that is really referring to. <laughs> Uh, I, I, my only guess is like she's from the bottom of like lower class or something like that's what I'm guessing the lower the lower rung of the ladder from the bottom from the bottom from the bottom Or like low-hanging fruit, maybe? Maybe. But you are correct. I mean, uh, like you said, a lot of these songs, you if you listen to them, you can read into them, and you can find a really interesting story. I really didn't get this one. I mean, this I like it, the, the court from the bottom. 
I'll be singing that, but that's about all I took away from the song is the chorus. Well, that's the whole song is just yeah. from the bottom. <laughs> from the bottom. Boop. There's maybe like Boop. four other lines. <laughs> this was a 1954 Sonny Boy Williamson and his House Rockers cover. I could see that yeah, bopping in 1954, though. I could see that bopping in 1954, but uh, I don't want to say this might have been my least favorite song of the album, but I guess this is the song that I took the least amount away from. The, the song didn't really give me anything. I enjoyed it, but it didn't give me anything. All the other songs, even if I didn't like it, it it's... Uh, it was, it was kind of like filler. It's like, hey, what's going to get us to 30 minutes? Right. It made me, like... Like that Green Onions, even though that that was just a wild diatribe by Ackroyd about blue jeans and cars, it's like that was like it kept me interested. It kept it's like what, yeah. And this one was like you're right, yeah. It's filler. It's like we need to get uh, what else can we put on here to get our, to get our album to thirty minutes so we can justify yeah. selling an album, yeah, or or doing a show. And then last but not least, going back to Miami. This is a party song. This yeah. is a party song, and I'm pretty. I'm glad they ended the album with this song because this is a a, a rock and blues song that they ended that they ended the album with. It's a good closing song because it's like, all right, we're going back to Miami. This was great. Yes, it's been good. This was but, the only song uh, from this album that made it to the greatest hits album. A majority of the greatest hits album is from their first and second album. This is the only song from Made in the Made in America that made it to the uh, made it to their greatest hits album that came out the next year. I think, if I recall, this is the one. Yeah, uh, this is the only single that it peaked at uh, number one hundred eight, and yeah, it cracked the top forty at number thirty nine. I, I enjoy this song. Yeah, this was a good closing track. It's got uh. The drummer, I can't remember his name, um, Steve Jordan, he kills it on this on this track. He's got a great so, drum breakdown in it. So this is not the drummer from the Blues Brothers movie. They let him go. And he killed it. He killed it, yeah. They all killed it. That was, in all the interviews you see about the Blues Brothers is the one thing that Belushi and Ackroyd wanted was a fantastic band behind them. Yeah, they were so solid. And this and, has got to be one of the most solid bands ever. I mean, they, yeah, they, they're all solid. They all hit it. They all kill it. And you can really tell on this album, it's like, it, it's just so... I, I, the best word I can think of is solid. Like literally, like from front to back, it's like you, you don't hear any like. It's so clean, you know. Well, they've been working it's, together for years at this point, so not yeah. only are they a great band, they probably they've worked together enough where now they're meshing with each other. The only thing I was disappointed about with the ending uh, of this track and the album was there's no closer. Like uh, it just it's. It ends with like uh, the sound of fireworks, and that's it. Like one one shot of firework, and then it's just over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It ends abruptly. Yeah. It ends very abruptly. And so, and I would expect like you know like they always had the intro like, hey, we're the Blues Brothers. Thanks for having us. I would ex kind of you know like either them playing out like longer, you know, or doing a whole like outro like, hey, thanks for coming out. Blah blah blah. We'll see you next time. Yeah yeah. But no, nothing. Maybe it was like a. A studio time issue. Maybe it just costed more money for them to drag it out. I yeah, I wouldn't know anything about that. And now that we know that this would have been their their final album as that entity, I would have liked a, a I would have liked a solid ending. Yeah, you know, just to have that on record, uh, which we which unfortunately we don't have. I mean, nobody was expecting Belushi to die a couple of years later, but. You know, now that we know what we know, to have this a concrete ending, that would have been, that would have been nice. Yeah, it just fizzles out. It's kind of, yeah. I guess, a life metaphor. You know. Yeah, it's not always a great ending. Now, I do want to say that the album cover, the back cover, was designed by Belushi's wife, Jackie. Or, I'm sorry, Judith, Judith Belushi. So she uh, she designed the album, the album and the album 
uh, the album cover for uh, for this album. Wow. How many times can I say album in one sentence? Uh, as many as you want, buddy. <laughs> as many as I can. <laughs> the most hilarious uh, thing about this back image is you see all you see the band all together and they have cans of Coke and it it's like you know you know there was probably a lot of drugs being passed around in real life in this back room. That, yeah, nobody's drinking Coke, <laughs> you know, and having a, and they got like a like a salad buffet. It's like, okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I see what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, and there I, I see him right there in the middle, uh, John. The funniest part is everybody's got a casual look on their face. Uh but uh uh Mr. Fabulous, I can't think of his name, I can only think of his nickname. There's one guy looking directly at the camera. Nobody else is looking at the camera. Everybody else has a casual look on their face like, hey, what's going on? And there's this one guy. It's it's like he looks guilty for picking up the grape off the table or whatever he's eating. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, no. Also, the horn player's looking at the... Uh... Oh, yeah. So there's two, there's two people. There's two people. Yeah, there's a guy at the buffet table. He's sort of looking off. He's not looking directly at the camera. But there's one guy, the guy next to Belushi, who's yeah. looking exactly, looking dead on in the camera. He looks like he's posing for an album while yeah. everyone else is just acting disinterested. And they're gambling right there, right on the table. Yes, they're gambling. Ooh, I think I see a $2 bill, too. Yeah, there's like ones and twos and fives and... <laughs> But uh, so that was, uh, but that's the album, Blues Brothers, Made in America. And you said you wanted to save, save your thoughts to the end. Yeah, my my overall. So overall here's thoughts. What I this thought. is uh, this uh, this is going to be a relatively short podcast because, as we both said, this is not a particularly long album. Yeah, um, and there's not much to talk about with the songs. They're they're too short, you know, and simple. But your overall uh, thoughts. Sorry to interrupt. I thought it was mediocre. I'm not gonna lie. I was going to say, I I agree. This is the weakest out of all the albums. Yeah. Like, if I if I paid to see this in concert, like, because they did a, a, a North American tour of this, I'd be underwhelmed. Because, uh, I mean, it's nothing really spectacular. There's, there's like, three songs that, like, I, yeah, I really enjoyed. But I could only really justify this if, like, they were the opening act to something even bigger. And so, uh, again, like I mentioned earlier, I guess they were running out of songs to, like, cover, and it it kind of felt like that. But, like, I also feel, again, that they could really amp these songs up with the talent that they had, but they didn't. And, like, maybe, again, I'm guessing, like, it was an issue of, like, because recording time and studio time, that costs a lot of money. And so, like, maybe they didn't want to do, like, flashy solos and everything, just, just save on that, but... They totally could have. Like, they could have, like, really amped this album up, but it was just going through the motions. And so it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, we're the Blues Brothers. Here's some songs. I think it might have been, it might have been a money grab. Yeah. Being on on the coattails of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Just like you said, like, it came out the same year. And so it was just like, hey, we gotta, we made a movie. We gotta do something. And because we're a band, you know, we're a real band, not just a movie. Right, where the it's just like it's the monkey syndrome. Um, we're a real band, uh, <laughs> but you know this had to be. It was put out in December of 1980, and I believe it was recorded in August of 1980. So if this is coming out after the movie, it probably had a rushed production, yeah. which didn't which didn't help the album as well. Yeah. But I 100 percent agree with you. I would suggest listen. Well, you know, you you can hear the soundtrack on the movie, but I would recommend their first two albums or, you know, the best of the blues brothers is a fantastic album. This is like you said, middle of the road, mediocre. It's got some good stuff in there. Uh, but I would not go back to this album before. I mean, I'd go back to their other albums first before I would even consider going back to this album. Yeah. And it may be like, I don't know, maybe it was like a, uh, they were like kind of running their thing, you know, like it was a thing of the times, like, hey, we're, we've been together for so long, like we're running out of stuff to do. Maybe it was John Belushi's, you know, 
interference of like the drug problems and stuff and the band it, that stuff breaks bands apart you know and so like i don't because have an if immediate this came answer out, if this came out in the tales of the blues brothers the movie we have tons of stories of belushi doing cocaine on the blues brothers movie now okay i'm gonna say something on the back cover of this album there is a security card they're called smoky wendell and Smokey Wendell was a big part of Belushi's life. They hired him, Dan Aykroyd and his wife Judith, hired him to keep drugs away from John. And he's actually in the picture on the back of the album. Yeah, he's right in the back, just has his arms crossed. And he's looking he, at John. Yeah, he's looking at John. He's keeping an eye on John. That's so That's so sad, really. Like, Yeah. Uh. But there were so many stories of him doing drugs on the Blues Brothers, the movie. I find it hard that he could have become clean just in that short amount of time between when that movie ended and they started, you know, production and touring on this album. I find I I just find it impossible to believe that he was even remotely clean at that point. And then also just being on tour. Like, I can only imagine that that's going to amplify drug use and alcohol use and other things well not only that but belushi was also a heavy eater and a heavy smoker that doesn't help you that doesn't help you either even though those things are both legal and actually drinking was legal but i mean he overdid but smoking and eating i mean he had he overindulged in both of those as well and if you're a singer and you're a heavy smoker and you got to do those moves every night that's gonna wear on you too yeah I bet he was just a pool of sweat every night. I, I'm sure he was. I'm sure. I'm sure this was the only exercise he was getting. Oh, wolf! At that point, yeah. Just to go off on a tangent here, another another fallen icon, Keith Moon, uh, the drummer of the Who. Yeah. They would say the only exercise he got was playing drums, and they said oh, he God. played drums so intensely. That, like, after the show, he would take his shirt off and he could wring the sweat off and it would fill two pint glasses. Yeah, I believe that. He went ham on those drums. He went ham on those drums. And they said those, that was actually good for him because that was the only exercise that he got. When they stopped touring for a while, he put on a ton of weight because he wasn't getting the drumming from the exercising. I can't help but feel this is the same thing with Belushi here where his dancing around and performing might have been the only real exercise he was getting at some time. Now, I know between after the Blues Brothers and his movie, uh, he did a movie, The Continental Divide. He got some trainers, he got clean for a while, and he fell back into it. But there was a time he was clean, but I believe this was before he straightened up his act uh, for that first time. And I believe, like I said, none either of us can't confirm this, but I do believe the band was fighting Belushi and his drug use on this album. I mean, they got to do something, like, or, or you just see a brother just degrade themselves you know like deteriorate it, 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 that has to have been that had to have been such a sad experience had to be had to be and also so, from someone who's so talented as well yeah i mean you don't want to see anybody destroy themselves with drugs but somebody like yeah. that who was just a, a beacon in comedy at the time that yeah that everybody loved everybody loved him and what what sucked was even the people you were talking about when we were talking about the song Guilty, when he mentions cocaine and everybody cheers. People were just giving Belushi cocaine like it was candy. Yeah. And yeah, that that's so terrible. But uh enough of uh, enough of the, enough of the sad <laughs> shit. Uh, <laughs> final recommendations for this album. What do you recommend to our listening audience about this shot? I recommend giving it a listen. Uh there's definitely some classics on here. Uh but overall like you're you're probably not going to come back to it unless like maybe one or maybe a few tracks you would save like on your playlists, but I, I definitely don't think you're going to listen to the whole thing again. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say there's a couple of songs that you might want to put 
on your playlist and rotate them in with your other songs. This is not an album that you're going to sit down and listen to from start to finish a lot. You know, pick pick the good ones, pick what you want, and listen to those and be happy with those. And maybe yeah. once in a while, go back and listen to the old, the whole album to put them all in perspective. But that's yeah. not something like, you really need to do. I think really the only time you're going to go back to it is like, let's say you're doing like a Blues Brothers marathon. You're listening to all the tracks, like, and it's like, oh, I'm going to listen to each album. Yeah, you might do it, but I think that even then you're gonna be like, "What a slow outro!" Again, it's just like the first few albums, like you're saying, are so good, and then this one's just kind of, eh. But that's with a lot of bands, because I mean, like, you're the most bands are like spending the first few years like making these great albums, and then they're rushing the next few things because they're so popular, and then the studios are like, "Oh, we got to put out another album. We got to put out another album." And so it's just rushed up, you know? Yeah, they're so popular or they're under contract. We need to put out three albums and they they, they have to put these albums out. They can't do what they want. They, they have deadlines. It's yeah. called it's called show business for a reason. All right, well, that's it. So, Sean, once again, give us all your social media. Where can we find you and anything particular that you're working on right now that you want to share with the audience? Uh, you can find my collection of art from anyone and everyone uh, at www.drawbook.net. Everything is online now. It's updated. Uh, again, I'm still hoping to get a completely updated website because it's very outdated because I'm not a web designer myself. Uh, but you can find a lot there. You can also find all the other things I do there. Uh, you can find my music worldwide on every streaming platform at Thunk. Uh my latest album came out in November, Vibrations Between and Beyond. Uh, check it out, definitely. Uh, you can. Uh, I'm kind of on a hiatus right now with COVID, but uh, I take photos of ceilings at The Art of Ceilings on Instagram. Uh, my podcasts are also on break while uh, I am not receiving as much money because I, I try to pay my podcast guests. Uh, and so when that money comes in, then I'll bring it back up again. Uh, but they're out there. Uh, and then also come see me at Comedy Sports Houston. Uh, I'll be doing a show next week. I don't know if the, it'll be in time for the listeners to hear this, but uh, you know, this I'm there not, all the Yes, time. yeah, we're recording this on January 9th, so Sean will have already played in his match by the time this one comes out. But, uh, it'll be my first check match. Check our of the schedule, cscHouston.com. We're performing every Saturday right now, and I'm pretty sure we're going to be going to every Friday and Saturday within the next couple of months. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully that's a thing. That's a good sign of things to come for 2022, as this yeah. podcast is a good thing uh, for yeah. 2022. Because even Which though we they... didn't give this a glowing review, it's always fun doing podcasts with you, Sean, because you always bring your A game. You never phone it in, even though we are technically kind of phoning it in. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> But I mean, it, this works. I think this is a great format of just skyping over and doing the audio. This is our fifth. Yeah. Uh, this is my fifth time on your podcast, but together, our eighth podcast together. Yes, I, I wouldn't have you back if I didn't think you were doing great. I appreciate it, man. I think you're uh, putting in the work, and uh, it shows. Uh, but now we're talking about stuff that's boring the audience. We're we're, no. we're compliment. We're complimenting. People don't like compliments. They want us to be mean to each other. That's what somebody told me. You got to be mean to your guests. That'll get people <laughs> listening. So fuck you, Sean. Fuck you for being <laughs> on my podcast. Ah, thanks, buddy. <laughs> I think the f the fans are the ones who are listening still at this point. You know, so they want to hear these things. All right, and I, and I, please uh, please don't fuck yourself. Uh, please stay. Please keep staying the the wonderful person that you are, and yeah, I'm gonna. Too, I'm definitely gonna have you back uh, this year. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we still got to do uh, Death Wish, Death Wish Five, Death Wish Five on my other podcast, the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. Check that out as well. All right, well, Scott, thanks for having me on, man. Thanks for doing this, and we'll see everybody here next time on the Dan Aykroyd podcast. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com slash scottwhite and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. That should help people find this podcast. And no matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. 
Thank you for listening to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. We would like to dedicate this song to a recently turbulent chunk of real estate at the end of Highway 41, just south of the Alligator Alley in the Florida Peninsula. And to a certain distinguished resident there, you may know him, Mr. Wayne Cochran. My brother Jake will sing about that town. Going back to Miami. Going back to Miami. Going back to my girl. Going back to my girl. I said I'm going back to Miami. Going back to Miami. Going back to my girl. Going back to my girl. I've got to get back to my baby. has been a Cross the Streams media podcast.